It is your Friday, Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back. Final show of the week and a good one at that. And I stepped outside this morning to let the dog out and uh, didn't feel like I could cut the air with a knife. And that felt good. A little bit uh, less humid, feeling a little bit better after the rain we got. We needed the rain, as I like to say, as we like to say, as they like to say. And it feels a little bit better today, so hopefully people can get outside, have some fun, do some things on this Friday and into the weekend. Until then, though, good show coming up for you. Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little while to talk Vikings, specifically to talk salary cap stuff, but also some training camp battles. A uh, very popular segment we like to call Where's the Money, Brzezinski. That'll be coming up here in just a few minutes. I'll have a final Vikings thought at the end, something that kind of made me chuckle again second time this week that something the Vikings have done and said has made me laugh a little bit. First, though, what did I miss? Um, so Twins had three pretty significant developments on uh, on on Thursday, not the least of which was Sonny Gray winning for the first time in like 15 starts. He's been so good for the Twins this season, but they could not score any runs for him for the majority of the season, but they gave him five on uh, on Thursday, including four pretty early. He made that hold up seven strong innings, two runs allowed. The Twins beat the Cardinals five to three. The Guardians did not play, so the Twins division lead now two and a half games after taking two of three from the Cardinals. A nice little rebound from a uh, getting swept by the Royals and having a five-game losing streak, and b not doing anything at the trade deadline on Tuesday. So maybe finding their footing a little bit. Some good pitching performances from Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray in that series. Not so much from Joe Ryan. And we addressed that quite a bit on Thursday's show. But then on Thursday, uh, before the game in St. Louis, Joe Ryan talked to the media. And we got a little insight into maybe why he's been struggling so much, at least according to him. He's been hurt. Pretty much ever since, he's been awful this season. So you can kind of trace this. He says it happened right before uh, right before his, his outing in Atlanta. He was stretching in the outfield grass, felt, a, felt a, a little strain on his groin. Now, that's what that's the official reason he's on the injured list. Felt a strain, and now he's on the injured list. Um, in seven starts since then, including that Atlanta start, he has been terrible. 19 home runs allowed, including five in that Atlanta loss, and that was coming right on the heels of his best outing of the year, maybe his best outing of his career, a three-hit shutout against the Red Sox at Target Field on June 22nd that had lowered his ERA all the way down to 2.98. Seven starts later, 4.43, and here's the thing. He apparently did not bother to tell anybody that he was injured, that he wasn't feeling 100% in his groin, and now, you know, you know, I think a young pitcher, as, as long as this this whole story is correct, a young pitcher might try to you know work through some things on his own. That sounds like what he was doing. And I'm going to play some Joe Ryan audio here in a minute. But you got to tell your team. You got to, especially after seven starts. Like maybe after one or two, you got to say, "Hey, say I'm just not physically right right now. Something's not working. I can't do everything I want to do. We got to take a look at this." And so he just keeps trying to pitch through it. He had a couple okay outings in there, so I guess. You know, it hasn't been all doom and gloom, but, you know, by and large, 19 home runs allowed in seven games. That that should tell you that maybe this is more serious than you think, especially if the numbers, if the velocity is dipping a little bit, if you're seeing things in your mechanics that are not right, 
Like, there should have been, apparently there were red flags, but there should have been more red flags all over the place. But here's Joe Ryan on uh, on Thursday. This is courtesy of Bobby Nightingale Jr., our beat writer. He sent me this audio from St. Louis. Here is Joe Ryan talking about this on Thursday. Um, on my fastball at the top of the zone, which we throw a lot, obviously, it, I don't really notice it as much. Um, it's anything when I'm getting that last little bit. Um, getting over the baseball or getting over my front leg, I guess, um, exacerbates the symptoms, and I think that's where it just flares up so much. Um, it's definitely been frustrating for me. I think learned a, a lot, I think, just kind of pretty quickly here, and uh, how, how many people have my back with the team, and just as far as helping me uh, navigate that process, being like a new... Um, I guess situation for me to tackle. I was trying to do it on my own and um, didn't probably take the best routes to notifying everyone. I think I just tried to kind of work through some stuff for a while and um, thought I was getting there and then I would like just, it kept bugging me and bugging me and then um, just, yeah, was, I guess like the frustration kind of comes with that. And How did someone not stop this sooner? How did Joe Ryan not say something? How did the Twins not see something and and shut this down. How, how did this get to be seven starts? And they still won three of these games because they always give Joe Ryan, in contrast to Sonny Gray, plenty of run support. But man, how, how did this get to be a point where he was pitching so poorly and then now, just now after seven ineffective starts where you're seeing things all over the place that this gets addressed? I don't know. It seems like there was some clear breakdowns, probably starting with Joe Ryan and not telling them, not being honest, not getting any real treatment aside from what he apparently was doing on his own. But uh, that that was not a good situation for the Twins. Hopefully it doesn't end up costing them. And again, they went 3-4 and four in those seven starts, so it's not like it was all hope was lost. But if you give up 19 home runs in seven starts, you give up about a run per inning. That's not good. That's not good. And you got, you got to get that fixed. And you got to get that, that communication working better. The final piece for the Twins, they promoted Brooks Lee, one of their top prospects from uh, AA to AAA. That should be pretty interesting. I wonder if he will rise all the way here. It's it's a fast climb, but man, he's been a really good prospect for them. He was tearing it up at Double A Wichita. If he plays well in St. Paul, if he keeps hitting, would not be out of the realm of possibility to see him with the Twins this year. He's a switch hitter, so the kind of guy that could give him some help against left-handed pitching. By the way, uh, both of their all all four of their runs yesterday. Uh, came off a left-handed starter, two long home runs from Ryan Jeffers and Michael A. Taylor, so good for them uh, to hit a lefty a little bit better on Thursday. But they still need help in that area. Maybe that's Brooks Lee. It feels like it's fast, but, man, a fast riser so far and all the way at AAA already. So that's a good sign for one of their top prospects. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and, of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Let's bring in Ben Gessling, Star Tribune Vikings writer right now. Been a little while since... He was on Daily Delivery. Um, we're on Access Vikings a lot, especially now that camp has started up. We'll be on even more once the season starts. But thought, Ben, I'd bring you in because Daniil Hunter is back in the fold with the Vikings, and now we have his uh, <clears throat> his contract terms 
And it's a it's a perfect opportunity to dig into the weeds of the financials, the Rob Brzezinski's of the world. Let's play the sounder right away. Where's the money, Brzezinski? So where is the money, Ben? They they all of a sudden they added like seven, eight million to this year's cap. Daniil's got yeah. like a twenty million dollar cap hit. Um, they're pushing money into the future. What, what anything about this deal? Now that we've seen the structure of it, maybe you can explain that and whether there was any anything about the fact that they got it done or how they got it done that surprised you. Yeah, I think the the structure of it isn't surprising so much as the fact that they got it done given how things looked like they might go even a week or you know almost hours before this got done i the people i had talked to made it seem like there was a very real chance this would not get done that there was a possibility daniel hunter would be traded because i i think what what had happened was there was a long history and we've talked about this quite a bit but there's a long history of him wanting more money wanting a different deal than the one he signed in 2018 of course has tremendous years of 2018 2019 after signing what even at the time looked like a very team-friendly deal given his age and how productive he'd already been by 2020 he is talking about wanting to redo that deal or his agent is is uh his camp is leaking that they wanted something to be done about that deal and then of course gets hurt in 2020 with the infamous tweak and then tears his peck in 2021, plays six games that year. So a lot of the leverage to get anything done is gone. Plays in a new system last year that put him in a different spot, had him going backward uh, more often than he probably wanted and more often than Brian Flores plans for him to do, as Brian Flores talked about this week. So there was a lot of history, I think just a lot of uh, difficult situations, difficult interactions to sort of unwind here. There was there was some emotions, I think, to it. There was probably a little bit of baggage that had to be dealt with on the way to a deal. And I still don't know that this means anything for what Daniel Hunter will have after this year. But I, I think several years of wanting to be one of the higher paid defensive linemen, one of the higher paid edge rushers in the league, paired with the fact that they had changed his role last year and he was good but not great. Yeah. And then there's sort of this reservation of how much do we want to pay him? Do we think he's going to be great? You know, where where does that price out? There was a lot of that to work through in addition to just all of the emotions that had gone in the last few years. So even last week when he reports, it seems fairly clear from Kevin O'Connell's opening statements, he's not going to practice until or unless something is done. And even through last week, talking to people in the building, it was like, hey, this could still go either way that he is either traded or he gets something done. So I think when Kevin O'Connell was talking about day to day dialogue with Hunter, yeah, he knew that there's a lot to work through here before everybody's going to get to a point where we're happy we sign a deal and we move on. So um, this to me was as much about the interpersonal component of this as it was the financial one well i want to circle back on a couple things here in a minute one kind of where he might excel or kind of find himself in a better spot a year from now after playing for a season in the brian flores defense and also kind of what this impact is on the 2023 cap because that's all this year's stuff but what's interesting to me in particular about how this is structured and where we are right now is this is essentially a one-year deal Yep. And Hunter and Kirk Cousins count the most against their 2023 cap at a little over $20 million a piece now. And, you know, uh, Cousins 
number is fairly low after they after what they did in the offseason to to kind of convert some of that money and push it down the road. But now you're looking into the future and nothing obviously is is guaranteed. But you know, their two highest cap numbers this year are sitting out there next year with about $43 million in dead money in 2024. So like basically your two highest paid players or two two biggest cap numbers this year are essentially free agents in 2024. And that puts you kind of in an interesting spot with both of those guys and, and Hunter in particular. Yeah, it, it does. I, I think we talked about this a little bit on Access Vikings the other day, this idea of um, who's more likely to be on the roster in 2024, uh, Kirk Cousins or Daniil Hunter. And I think this actually, I think Dan Barrero asked me about this the other day on the radio. So I'm regurgitating this for the second or third time this week. But I think Kirk Cousins, if I was to bet right now, is more likely to be here than Daniil Hunter. I, I think it's possible that both of them are. Um, I think it's, I'd put it more likely that Cousins is, especially if he has a good year and they say, we don't really want to start over at quarterback, knowing that we have to make a decision on Kirk Cousins before we draft. And if he has a good year, they're not going to be drafting high enough to get Caleb Williams or Drake May right off the bat without right. making some moves anyway. So there's a lot to figure out with both of these guys. And I think, you have to also account for the fact that there's going to be a larger bill coming at wide receiver in the not too distant future. Uh, yeah. You get something done with Justin Jefferson. So a lot to figure out with all three of those players. And there are going to be things that change. I mean, Harrison Smith is at a $19 million cap figure next year. I can't imagine that stays the same. Um, you're going to have probably, you know, a guy like Harrison Phillips is at, 8.8 next year I, I could see that changing if he doesn't have a a, a big time year um, you know there's there's lots of those things that will happen between now and then but yeah a lot of big decisions to make going forward between Hunter Cousins Jefferson uh, Christian Derisaw is going to be due for a deal here in the not too distant future TJ Hawkinson they yeah. have to get figured out probably I would think before the season I wouldn't be surprised if they get something done with him on a long-term deal before the season, but they only have, as it stands right now, something like $50 million in cap space next year. And you say, well, that's quite a bit of money. It is, but they have to fill out most of their roster between yeah. now and next year. I mean, you, they've got, you know, 55 players or something like that under contract for next year and, and things will change, but you're going to have questions at a couple spots in the offensive line as where Cleveland's a free agent. Uh, KJ Osborne's a free agent after this year. You've got to figure out, I think, long term with the corners, what that's going to look like if you want to go spend money on somebody, or are the guys that you have this year going to hit in a way that you don't have to do it? Uh, Marcus Davenport is a free agent after this year. So, this edge rusher question be, is a bigger one beyond just Daniel Hunter. Uh, lots to figure out. They are not going into the situation where it's like they're the Bears and there's lots of holes to fill, but they have lots of money to fill them with. There's lots of holes to fill, and it's still going to be a bit of a a gymnastics sort of thing to make all of that happen. And, and Kweisi Adolfo Mensa said it, I think, when he talked to reporters at the beginning of training camp. He said, oh, this is not the customary way that everybody does this. And there's a little right. bit of a hint there, a little bit of a breadcrumb of, hey, look, um, this idea that we are never going to go into full rebuilding mode is a really, really tough way to do it when you are constantly trying to 
refresh the roster and make decisions on veteran players at a point where you're never picking up high and you're never sitting there with big sums of cash to spend in free agency. So uh, it is a difficult line they have to walk. And I guess the point of all this is we should probably stop being surprised by that. It's yeah. This is probably more the default than uh, the exception. We saw it for the last few years of Rick, Spe- Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. Some of that had to do with them trying to save their jobs. Yes. yes. But it's also, I think, an organizational philosophy that we've now seen carry over into a new regime. And I wouldn't expect that we're going to see that change. No, and Quincy even said, like, it's in some ways harder mathematically if you look yeah. at it. Like, it's maybe, you know, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, at least, like, there's a risk at kind of staying in this kind of middle ground and trying to get to that next level rather than tear it down and try to build all the way back up because you are missing those high picks. You do end up kind of doing this salary cap dance every year. And, you know, in 2023, they have like $10 million now in, in cap space. They brought in the, the free agent guard this week for a visit, Dalton Reisner. Um, didn't sound like that produced any kind of imminent signing, but it does show that they're at least kind of still sniffing around the market. It seems like they've got enough space to do that, but they also could, you know, however they do a Jefferson deal or a Hawkinson deal could factor into this year's cap if they want to front load it a little bit, if there's space, how do you think, how do you think they maneuver, maneuver that and kind of account for anybody else they want to add here at the end? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they are done trying to maneuver some of these things i i think like i say i would expect a hawkinson deal gets done that probably lowers his cap number somewhat from this year i think he's at nine seven or something like that yeah I think that's right Right now and uh nine three i guess it is right now so he will i would think come down from that if you are going to do a deal with him uh jefferson i don't know that there's if they did a jefferson deal before the season i'm not sure there's any great way to make his cap number go down from what it currently is. Yeah, his number is only four million, a little more than four million. Yes. So. Yeah, it's four million and it will include a massive signing bonus if they're going to do it. Um that number will go up. I, I just there's no math that I can see that's going to make that number go down from four million if you're going to do that deal. So what you get back from a Hawkinson deal may go right to Jefferson, which means there's not all that much money to do a lot of these things, given the fact, too, that you have to that your top 51 provisions go away in a few weeks. And there'll be some number of guys that have a little bit of guaranteed money if they get cut and you may have injury settlements with a few players. And then you also have to have a little bit of money to adjust your roster during the regular season. So. You're looking at a lot of these things where you can bring in guys like Dalton Reisner, but if he is looking for a big sum of cash either for this year or in a multi-year deal and a promise that you're going to be the starter right away, I don't know that this is going to be the place that he gets at least the cash part of that. I, I think the fact they brought him in is significant. I think it shows you that they are open to upgrading there, that they are not completely satisfied with everything they have or at least they don't think that there's no way we can improve this so you end up in this spot where you probably are going to have guys come in if there's a player like Dalton Reisner that's as experienced as Dalton Reisner is that's going to look at it and say okay uh, this is an option but I want to check around a little bit and see if there's a place where I can get a little bit more 
of an assurance financially of where I'm going to be, because I just don't know that the Vikings are going to be the team that can do that for a lot of players right now, simply because there's enough sort of, there's enough stuff in the ether. There's enough stuff that they still have to consider between now and the start of the season or even into the season that I don't think they're going to go break the bank for anybody. And not that there's a ton of guys to do that with, but even in these types of situations, I don't know that they're going to be the top bidder on the market for the, the veteran free agents that are still around. You know, I was looking at it and they, you know, they're carrying a little over $36 million in dead money this year. A lot of that Adam Thielen, and I was wondering if that's a lot. It's kind of a lot. It's the eighth most in the league. And then I looked and it's like, wow, the, the Buccaneers and Rams are carrying more than twice as much of that, almost $75 million in dead money apiece. That's not the way you necessarily want to do business, but is that just kind of the the price of doing business when you're kind of in this zone? Are you just going to have to have those kind of moments where you're, you're pushing money out and then eventually it just kind of falls over the cliff and you got to swallow it in some years? Yeah, there's going to be some of that, and you're still going to continue to see the cap go up. I mean, that yeah. that has not fully hit in the way that it will over the course of this TV deal. Because we, we've seen increases in the cap, but it's not quite hit turbocharge mode yet um, because the, of those years that they had to work back from the dec- what would have been decreases in the cap because of COVID. So. Right. There's still some of that, that that will help them, but that also is going to push player salaries up in general. So um, it is a little bit of the way you have to live, I think, because they are trying to have it both ways in a lot of ways where, you know, the Buccaneers probably aren't looking at this year and saying, okay, let's go. I mean, everybody's going to say the goal is win the division. The goal is to go to the playoffs. The goal is to go to the Super Bowl. But I think realistically, some of these teams know this is not where we are. This is not the year where we are expecting to be all in right and that money then is not the end of the world because we'll kind of lick our wounds this year and come back at it a different year the vikings are trying to win a division and trying to make a deep playoff run right now with the way they're set up they have a 35 year old quarterback that is still very much trying to maximize his window now and and things kind of flow from there and i i think when you're in that mode, not having $36 million of your cap is a tough way to live. It is It makes it harder to do everything that you want to do, but it is going to be part of the way things work unless you are perfect on every bet you make on a player. And that's just not how this happens very often. Right. You, For you not to have dead money, you would have to price contracts correctly, be lucky with injuries, have players who are productive enough to stay at market value contracts like Harrison Smith to age 34 at a a position where you just don't see that happen very much. So, yeah, if you are um, better than everybody else in the salary cap department and the talent evaluation department, sure, you can can do these deals and not have to deal with any dead money. It probably also is going to mean you're winning a heck of a lot of games. So... It's fine, but that's you know, short of that, there is going to be a little bit of this baked into it. And, and you know, Quasi, I think, sort of has admitted that that you're just you're not going to be perfect on all of these things. So this is kind of the side effect of just variability or imperfection, you know, probably all of those things baked into it. It's just 
going to be the way it is when you are trying to keep a still fairly veteran roster together and try to keep winning. I guess the only other antidote to this we should mention is drafting really, really well. Yeah. They haven't done that for a while. No, they haven't. They're paying the price for that too. Well, that speaks to, I mean, the, the, the top or the bottom of this list, depending on how you want to look at it, the dead money. The Bengals only have $600,000 in dead money this season. Wow. They've drafted fairly well recently. They drafted very high, but Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase spring to yep. mind. And you know the, yep. the teams with the least amount of dead money, if you look at it right now, are the Chiefs, Bills, Jaguars, Chargers, and Bengals, all of them with um, pretty good chances to make the playoffs in the AFC and certainly you know a few of those prime Super Bowl contenders. So, you know, you give yourself a wider window if you have more active spending than dead money. And the two biggest teams that have the biggest amount of dead money are the Bucks and Rams who just won Super Bowl. So I guess they can't really argue with uh, with all of that either. So it's just an interesting Your way. Your favorite team is in there at number three. Packers. Yeah, 57 million after uh, the divorce with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to hurt them this year as well. But we'll, uh, you know, that, that's a piece of this too. Like, I, I wonder how tempted they are, you know, to to try to stay competitive, not just from an organizational standpoint, but man, the NFC North feels like it's going to be open at least for a little while, yes. unless we, until we learn more about Jordan Love and Justin Fields and, and how for real Detroit was, you know, in, in at least becoming competent last year, it, there's no team that you look at and say, this is, this is a team that certainly is going to overtake the Vikings this year. Yeah. And that is, if you were sitting here saying, if you're, if you're the fan that's saying for whatever reason, boy, I'm tired of this. I want them to tear it down. I'm tired of the trying to stay relevant, trying to stay stuck in the middle. I've said that before. I've said that before. If if anybody that can hear my voice is of that uh, mindset, the counter to that would be, look, the NFC North is up for grabs. The NFC itself is not the deeper conference. No, that's for sure. Have Philadelphia, who I think is going to continue to be very, very good. Um, beyond that, I don't know that you'd look at anybody there. I mean, San Francisco, I think, is going to be good again, but the quarterback questions continue yeah. with them. Um, the Rams have a lot to do to get back to where they were. Um, Dallas, I suppose, is still a factor, but yeah. you know, you but like them. Aside anymore. from Philly, though, and maybe San Francisco, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a conference where you sit there and say, okay, this team is locked and loaded. It's not Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo, uh, Jacksonville probably on the rise, uh, you know, the Jets. And if you're sitting there and you're the Jets saying, we've got a window, it's like, well, maybe, but you're not the best team in your division and the Dolphins are not bad either. So it's not that type of a setting for the Vikings where you're, saying, boy, there's just no way for us to even get home playoff games and, and make a run. You look at the NFC, and I, there is a path to do it. You need a lot of things to go right. Right. But, um, you know, the I mean, Kevin O'Connell, I think, said this in an interview the other day, the number of people that come up to him and say, just once before I die. Yeah. You know, he's already, he's been here a year. Yeah. And a guy that's 38 years old from across the country that had a fairly – he doesn't like the word charmed, but they had a lot of things go right last yes. year. Yes. He is already hearing all of the Viking fan fatalism. Uh, and I think understands that if you are the first person to break through that, you will be loved here forever. Oh, yeah. so no, it is about a it. tempting thing when the NFC North is up for grabs. 
the NFC itself is not as formidable as it's been. And you know, you get hot, you never know. Um, I, I think that is the temptation that they find themselves with when it's like we've got a quarterback that is able to win games, at least in the regular season. Maybe we get on a playoff run. We've got the best offensive weapon in the league. Um, we've got a coordinator we like on defense that has a lot of things to fix, but there's a lot that they are optimistic about with him. And, you know, you never you never know where it could go if they get in and, and make a run. So I, I think that's a lot of what – I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think that's yeah. a lot of the thinking that would drive the let's stay in the game sort of approach. Speaking of up for grabs, maybe let's finish with a little bit of camp talk. Um, it's, you know, maybe we can frame this either positively or negatively, but there's does seem like there's positional battles going on. And so maybe one of those is guard where they, like we talked about, they brought in at least a look at Dalton Reisner, didn't sign him when he was here. If you are the Vikings or if you're just Ben Gessling observing camp so far, what are your what are your areas of concern so far in terms of how this depth chart will play out and kind of who your starters are going to be, um, especially, especially especially on defense, but across the board, I guess. I think the one I would bring up uh, right now is running back. Like what okay. does the depth chart look like there? Alexander Madison limps off the other day on a day where Kenny Wongu is not practicing. Ty Chandler has really struggled in pass protection. Um, which is a big part of playing running back in the system, especially if you're in 11 personnel, especially with a quarterback that's going to throw a lot and is not going to be the most mobile quarterback in the world. They've talked about that, that they need running backs that could pass protect. So I can already hear cousins groaning and moaning on the ground. That's true. Yeah, Watching the, that quarterback the, documentary. Yep. There was a lot of that. Like, ah, the, ah. Yeah, Kirk getting up and uh, trying to gut through a, another shot to the ribs it was a, a pretty common part of the soundtrack there. So that one, I wonder about a little bit because they certainly have talked like they expect Alexander Madison to be a bigger part of this offense than, I mean, the, the narrative of like running back by committee thing, they're not talking that way. They are talking like they expect Alexander Madison to be an every down guy. Uh, which is great if he's healthy. Right. Um, if he's not, or if something happens to him at any point, what is the solution there? I wonder about that. I the 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 middle of the offensive line. I think it's a known yeah. question. I mean, this is yes. I'm not bringing any news to say that Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, Ed Ingram need to be better than they were a year ago. Uh, there, there's not a great solution for that right now. On the roster, I mean, it's it's Oliudo possibly getting back in there if they wanted to go that direction at some point, or I don't know that they would, but man, still there. Talk about not great solutions. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's not. I I'm aware of where we stand with the history of some of these guys, but uh, you know, that's what the options are at the moment, unless they go sign somebody. And I think the fact that they brought Dalton Reisner in would tell you that you should keep an eye on that situation. Um, edge rusher opposite to Neil Hunter. We haven't seen Marcus Davenport in a day or two here. Um, that A lot of that might just be maintenance stuff, given his injury history. But you need him to hit. You need some of those guys behind him, I think, to hit, whether it's DJ Wan or Patrick Jones. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of questions about... <laughs> corner. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about corner. I, I have been... 
I think pleasantly surprised with how some of those guys have looked early. Now it's a, an awfully good offense. They're facing a lot of good receivers that, that can make you look pretty bad at times. And we've seen some of that, but I, I think a Caleb Evans has looked better than I expected. You've seen some things from Makai Blackman. Andrew Booth walked off the other day with an injury again, which is kind of a common theme for him, but um there's a lot they have to get figured out there. I think the thing that's really intriguing is the way they've used the safeties and what the safeties amount to. It seems like this three safety package is going to be a big part of what they do, whether it's Josh Metellus, Lewis seen could maybe still work his way into a role. I think he's done some nice things. He had a great interception the other day and has made some nice plays and pass coverage. Um, That group may have something of an unorthodox solution to some of these defensive backs questions uh, throughout the course of the season. But yeah, there's, it's the common stuff, I guess it's, it's offensive line. It's, it's running back depth. It's probably all three levels of the defense in some way or another. Those are kind of be the things I'd continue to keep an eye on. Metellus, if, if we consider him ahead of scene, is that more of a function of, you know, seen missing almost all of last year and, you know, being kind of, behind the, the curve in that regard? Or is that a, a function of Metellus kind of ri- being a kind of a riser and being kind yeah. of more than you thought he was? Yeah, I think it's probably more the second one. He's done a lot of good things on special teams for the last few years that have made an impression on coaches. And you hear, I mean, Harrison Smith said it a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago at the beginning of camp, it all runs together. But he's saying Metellus knows the defense well enough that he could basically teach it. So a lot of that stuff has made an impression in terms of just he knows where to be. He knows how to be in the right spot. You see it a lot in practice where he is the voice from the sideline. There was a, a drill at the end of practice the other day where I think he was on the sideline. The secondary is making checks before the play and he's yelling, scream it. You need to make sure that people are hearing your checks. So, I mean, even those little things, he is very vocal and I think bringing in a lot of just practical advice for younger players, not feeling like, Oh, I I haven't asserted myself yet. I need to wait to do that. He has kind of, I think taken it upon himself to say, uh, we need to be on it with a lot of these things. So whether it's setting the tone or just, I think impressing people by how well he knows the scheme, certainly he's made an impression. And I think that's had a lot to do with why he's getting opportunities and, I think we'll continue to get opportunities. I, I don't know that they are disappointed with Lewis seen by yeah. any means things right now, but yeah, the fact of the matter is when you're coming back from an injury, you didn't have the time to make an impression as a rookie. Um, that does factor into how all this plays out. And I think a lot of it has been Josh Metellus taking advantage of opportunities to make an impression and kind of getting rewarded as a result of that. Yeah. Well, sixth round pick in 2020, seen obviously the first round pick last year but once you get there it's it's kind of what you do you might get more chances if you are drafted higher i certainly think that's how yep. it typically goes but if you continue to make plays over and over again you will become hard to ignore and i guess that's if that's something metellus is doing they will take a bright spot on the defense uh wherever they can take it uh because there certainly are plenty of other question marks um well plenty to unfold as camp goes on i'm sure we'll talk more again next week on access vikings follow all of Ben Gessling's work and the rest of our co- uh, rest of our colleagues on StarTribune.com. Ben, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Ben. And that brings me to the cooler. Ben reporting 
on a Thursday night that the Vikings brought in Ronald Darby, former Bills and Eagles starter who's had some injury problems over the last few years. Brought him in for a workout on Thursday. That is a corner, even though uh, Kevin O'Connell, second second time this week, he's talked about a position group that he's liked so far, but they've also brought in a guy for a workout. Made me laugh. He did that with the with the offensive line and the guards earlier in the week before they brought in Dalton Reisner that they didn't sign. Dalton Reisner, at least not yet, but the Vikings bringing in Ronald Darby for a workout, even though Kevin O'Connell saying, um, saying, I think they're off to a really good start of understanding how we're asking them to play, that he's been generally happy with the uh, the progress of his corners, especially his young corners like a Caleb Evans and Andrew Booth Jr., who has been hurt a little bit in camp but should be back soon, they hope, um, and Mekhi Blackman as well. So I don't know. Are they happy with him? Do they want more? Probably a little bit of both. <clears throat> I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility to add a veteran corner here. I think that's probably something they need at some point here. That would solidify the group. Maybe Darby is the guy. Maybe it's somebody else. So I don't know. A lot of positional battles still to, to unfold. And like Kevin O'Connell said, these joint practices coming up pretty soon will give them an even better idea of what they need. First preseason game not too far away. I think it's like next week. So uh, plenty of opportunity for them to get better and to get better quickly. That'll do it for me today. Have a great weekend. We'll be back at it on Monday with Royce.